Welcome to Policy Pod, PORF podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello, you're watching The Ideas Factory. I'm Nakma. Joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. You're watching Ideas Factory at the ORF platform, and a lot has been happening in the world, especially in our neighborhood. In Pakistan, there has been a political turmoil, probably like never before. Though Pakistan's political waters have never particularly been calm, but the recent events have, you know, the, the the political waters have been really, really choppy. And probably Imran Khan has been facing the most difficult time in his political career. So we will look at Pakistan. What's happening there? What does it mean for Pakistan's politics? What does it mean for Imran Khan as a politician? What does it mean for India? All that we will be looking at as the events change at a very fast pace. But along with that, Russia and Ukraine, uh, amidst all the peace talks that took place there, we do not really see uh, something very tangible emerging. The invasion is continuing. The bombardments are happening. But in the middle of all this, India has seen a series of very uh, a flurry of high level visits with the Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov coming in in here, uh, with the Chinese Minister Wang Yi coming in here. Uh, we will look at that. What does it really mean for India Russia relationship? India Russia China triangle. What does it mean uh, for India's own policy towards the West and particularly the US? A very warm welcome to you, Harsh. Let's start by looking at uh, what uh, you know in the perspective of the Ukraine war. When there has been talk of a new world order emerging, sometimes it seems that Russian invasion of Ukraine has actually, in a way, expedited that. When we saw Lavrov's visit here, and Lavrov pushed for a more active Russia-India-China cooperation, and um, also talked up about developing this triangle more effectively. He talks of more equity in the international uh, relations. Uh, do you see that you know this push for equity uh, has actually led to a change in the current situation? Uh, how has this invasion of Ukraine, in a way, pushed for more equity in the international order? Now that we see that Russia, uh, China, and India look more aligned, especially India and China have stood for Russia as far as the Ukraine problem is concerned. Uh, yes, thanks, Nagma. I think uh, you know um, this. This has been an important, of course, uh, an inflection point in the way perhaps historians would look back. Uh, at history, and in fact, we have been talking about inflection points quite often in the last two years. You know, uh, COVID itself was an inflection point, but I think what uh, what uh, this crisis has done is, is it has uh, underscored the real challenge in the international uh, environment in terms of uh, you know the binaries that 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 have been created and the binaries that are often unsustainable. For example, this idea of democracies versus authoritarian systems. Uh, you know, uh, this is something that perhaps will have. Uh, long-term implications for the way uh, the world is structured and the way uh, perhaps India tries to find its own way. And if you look at India's position, India has taken, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say a very nuanced position in some ways because the idea that uh, in a, that India would side with either side uh, has also been uh, put by the wayside. India has been very categorical uh, that all stakeholders in this conflict should follow some basic principles: UN Charter, international law 
territorial integrity and sovereignty should be at the heart of uh, any approach to international relations. At the same time, India has uh, made it very clear that unlike the West, it does not see um, you know, uh, it, it does not see itself either isolating, marginalizing, or sanctioning Russia. So I think the way India has positioned itself has been quite distinct from from uh, from the West, but also I would say slightly distinct from uh, uh, from China. You know, because India's language has been more about uh, norms and principles, and recognizing well that those norms and principles uh, are often also espoused in the context of the Indo-Pacific. So when you know Mr. Lavrov talks of Russia, China, and India coming together, uh, I'm I remain still a bit skeptical how far that would go, given India's contradictions uh, with China, and also Mr. Wangi's visit to India, which uh, which you know uh, has al also been riddled with uh, with quite absurdities. You know there was no uh, Chinese did not want to publicize it. Uh, the, it seemed that uh, Mr. Wangi came to India without any preparation. In mm -hmm. fact, his statement just before. Uh, in uh, in in Pakistan uh, was aimed directly at India on Kashmir. Uh, quite unfortunate in some ways because if, if uh, the idea is to align uh, India with China uh, on the larger issues of global uh, convergence, then this is not the best way to start. And I think the message from India was equally categorical that it is not going anywhere. So I think the visit was uh, was actually uh, a dud in in some in more ways than one by Mr. Wangi to India. Uh, but I think Mr. Lavrov's attempt to do that, uh, perhaps it suits Russia, but whether it suits India, I think that still is an open question. Uh, what I think this crisis has, has exposed uh, or has underscored is that India is in an interesting position. India can and I would expect India will demand concessions from both sides. You know, you can, yeah, because you see, uh, we are looking, you know, Indians have talked about discounted oil and India has been unabashed saying that, look, if Europeans can buy it and if India's political economy demands it, then we will buy discounted oil from wherever we will get, given the challenges that we are facing in our energy security. Similarly, I think this is an important moment uh, to for, for India to push Russia on the China question, that what can Russia do for India on China? I mean, it's not entirely evident to me that uh, enough has been done by Russia on China and that, uh, that China has been asked to uh, look at the uh, border issue much more carefully. Similarly, on the question of the West, when, when the West talks about reducing dependence on uh, Russia, I think the question that India should pose and is posing is what can, what can the West do for us, uh, whether in terms of defense, co-production, co-development, transfer of technology, and also in terms of energy security. After all, our energy requirements from Russia are quite meager compared to what the, what the Europeans have. So I think broadly, we are still living in this, in this state where India is in a unique position uh, to of being wooed by all sides and also uh, of demanding certain concessions from its from from its interlocutors, which I think are yeah. going to be an important role in the way this conflict evolves. So very interesting times for India and India. Uh, uh, it can probably or should ask for concession from both sides. And very uh, interestingly, you pointed out how uh, even though the Chinese minister, Mr. Wong, he visited uh, India, uh, before that he made a very absurd comment about Kashmir in Pakistan, but then he comes here and this visit was uh, kept very low profile by both the sides, but yet it was high profile because there was this visit happening after a long time in the middle of all this uh, the turmoil around the world. Uh, do you see any change in China's position vis-a-vis -vis India, or an or an attempt uh, here to change, uh, you know, China's outlook towards how it's going to deal with India? Do you see uh, also a, a more, uh, you know, what Russia pointed out, a more equitable international order that has been pushed due to this invasion of Ukraine by Russia? 
Well, on the China question, certainly I don't see any change. Uh, I mean, if if this was an opportunity that Beijing wanted to explore with India, given what is happening in Ukraine, uh, a realignment, if you will, between uh, among uh, India, China and Russia, then I think the way this visit uh, was conceived was from the very beginning uh, faulty. Uh, and I think uh, there was no attempt also that was made, it seemed, uh, to reassure India. So you see, uh, you know, when uh, I think the the the, uh, the press conference by Dr. Jay Shankar, uh, and I think that, again that was quite unusual because you usually don't have foreign ministers coming out and uh, and uh, explaining to the press what went on. But in this particular case, as you point out, this was a very important visit in, in more ways than one because it was happening after after two year hiatus and also uh, after the, the you know all the. Uh, couple in, in along the border that, that India and China still uh, face. Uh, both sides are, are mobilized. And so uh, for, for, for Dr. Jayashankar to come and make it very explicit that our relationship remains abnormal. And that's the term he used, that this is, these are not normal times. Uh, and, and therefore, I, uh, you know, uh, one would have thought that if, uh, if Wangi was to visit India, perhaps greater thought could have gone into how this visit was structured. Perhaps some of the issues could have been raised in a manner that would allow some kind of a convergence at the global level to be explored mm -hmm. to the bilateral level. Uh, sure. But that did not come across. So I think that the visit itself did not uh, was not fruitful at all. And in fact, has further perhaps hardened positions, uh, at least from the Indian perspective, it seems. Uh, but what Mr. Lavrov has, was suggesting uh, and perhaps that's where, uh, you know, there is an opportunity that there might be an opportunity for India to push that if it's a question of equi equity, if it's a question of an equitable international environment, then, you know, uh, uh, it is also important for Russia, uh, for our Russian friends to understand that India has been steadfast with Russia uh, when it comes to Ukraine, so far at least. But we have yes. not seen the same reciprocity when it comes to Russia in the Indo-Pacific. Now, you would recall it is the same Mr. Lavrov who, used to, who came to India and lectured India on the Indo-Pacific and Quad. Exactly. So I think you know, that cannot continue. I mean, someone has to give. Something has to give. And mm -hmm. so clearly, I think as far as India is concerned, there is a wider you know, global perspective on this issue. And India has mm -hmm. taken a consistent stand now that certain kinds of normative principles will have to be at the heart of international relations if that equity question is to be addressed. So that, that equity question cannot be different in the Indo-Pacific and it cannot be different in the Eurasian context. And I think India has made it very clear that it believes that uh, both all stakeholders, whether they are in the Indo-Pacific, whether they are in Eurasia, uh, have to follow uh, those some, same normative principles. But I'm afraid that message is not is yet to come out from Russia, let alone China. So I, mm -hmm. I, I know so, so the convergence that we are talking about at the global level. Uh, with Russia and China on the larger global uh, paradigm, I think we are we are uh, a bit uh, far off from that. I think what where we are at the moment is that all sides are trying to understand the consequences of the Ukraine crisis, and Russia, of course, would want in an ideal world to have uh, India and China supporting Russia on this question. But I think India will be able to go only so far uh, if the larger questions of equity at the, the global level are not addressed, and in particular in the Indo-Pacific. So there has to be reciprocity on, on those fronts, of course, that India would expect. And, uh, you know, uh, definitely India has been under a lot of pressure. And when you mentioned Quad, uh, one cannot forget that there has been a lot of uh, pressure from the Quad members to 
on India. In fact, there has been comment from the US uh, calling India's approach very disappointing as well. But India has had to do a very tough balancing act. But how does this uh, affect, if at all, India's policy with the, or India's relation with the West and particularly the US? I think, uh, you know, there is a fair degree, it seems, uh, there seems to be growing understanding of India's position. And if you, if you recall, despite, uh, you know, India's, uh, India taking a d different position, uh, as you mentioned in the Quad on Ukraine, uh, it, uh, relations with both Japan and Australia have continued to grow. In, in the last few weeks, we have seen Japanese Prime Minister in India. We have seen India signing uh, a free trade agreement, um, uh, an early harvest free trade agreement with Australia. A big deal, you know, as, as Prime Minister Modi has put it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big watershed moment uh, in India's uh, evolution uh, as a global economic actor. So I think the fact uh, that there is still trust between India and Japan, India and Australia, and I would say even India and the U.S., despite some some comments uh, of disappointment, and I think uh, one of the more unfortunate comments has been, public comment has been by the uh, U.S. deputy NSA who was here in India, who mm -hmm. talked of consequences, uh, which, uh, but by and large, you see that there is, uh, there is an acceptance of the logic of what India is trying to, to do here. Uh, because I think, uh, you know, much as the Europeans are saying that they would take years, uh, if not months, to get their energy security in order, re reducing their dependence on uh, Russia. Uh, you know, when it comes to defense de dependence, it takes decades for any nation to sort it out. So I think, uh, uh, you know, with, with, as far as India-Russia relationship is concerned, uh, given the operational realities that India faces, I don't see any possibility of that change happening anytime soon. Uh, given that, given where we are, of course, it has raised some difficult questions for India. It, it, I think it will give push to greater uh, self-reliance as far as Indian defense production is concerned. But I think it has also raised this question of uh, if the West really uh, wants us to reduce uh, our dependence on Russia, then what is it that West is willing to offer? Uh, can can the West match the kind of technology transfers that Russians are giving to India? Can the West match some of the deals that we are getting from Russia? So I think it has raised those fundamental questions, and I and I, and I don't think that it, there is any shying away from that. For India, I think that that's why I said this is a moment where India should be much more categorical about its desire that it, it is in the market for the best bargain. We are, and, and I think Indian, uh, both Indian foreign minister and Indian finance minister have said that national interest will will guide us whether we buy oil from Russia or not, uh, whether we buy whether we get defense equipment from Russia or not. And in that in that same spirit, uh, we should be guided in our relationships with the West. And I think the fact that Quad. Has uh, or the members of the Quad have continued to engage despite the differences on Ukraine underscores not only uh, the uh, you know uh, the role that Quad continues to play in regional imagination, but also uh, the relationship that India has forged bilaterally, trilaterally, and quadrilaterally with Quad partners. Yes, and the Russian foreign minister's visit to China, to India, to Turkey, and uh, all the sanctions that Russia is facing from the West. Uh, you know, in the middle of all these sanctions, Russian foreign, Russian foreign minister visiting these countries, has it been able to or has he been able to achieve uh, what he aimed at? Uh, if you look at the oil deal with India uh, to, to mitigate the effects of the sanctions. And for one, uh, surely it has shown that uh, Russia is not isolate, as isolated uh, on the world stage, uh, you know, in the scheme of things. 
because uh, India, China, Brazil, South Africa, they do not see this Ukraine issue in the same light as the West does. So it has also brought that on the forefront. Uh, yes, absolutely. I th- and I think, um, uh, uh, you know, in some ways, this is also a moment of reckoning for the West and for Europe in particular, that Europe today is not at the heart of global geostrategy. And I think, you know, m- m- much as if you, if you can go back to the to the phases, around, you know, in, in the 19th century and 20th century, early 20th century, uh, that would have been the case. If something is happening at the heart of Europe, it would inevitably, inevitably have global consequences. Today, something is happening, it will have global consequences, but not in the way that perhaps West is expecting it to. So I think there are going to be differences in the way countries are going to approach this question. And given the inherent multipolarity in the system, in the international order, I think the the West will have to reckon uh, with the fact that there are other power centers in the world that will view this issue through the prism of their own interest, of their own national interest, much as the West is doing it. It's not as if, you know, forget all about international law and international legal niceties. West is uh, is taking this position because that's what serves its national interest. There are no big moral issues here at stake. Uh, what is at stake here is primarily for, for the West to figure out a security architecture in Europe, uh, which is sustainable. And so the, what, what, uh, what is happening between Ukraine and Russia is much bigger in that sense. It is about the future of European security architecture in the West uh, and Western Europe and the transatlantic powers are finding it difficult to uh, to respond to this in a manner that would yield them sustainable results. But that is for them to decide in, in more ways than one. This for other powers. This is about other realities. So for India, for example, this is about its relationship with Russia. This is about what happens in the Indo-Pacific, what lessons with this crisis will yield for various powers in the Indo-Pacific, what happens to the China-Russia equation. There are bigger questions here at stake for India, for other countries. And so they will respond to it based on their own priorities, their own assessment of of, of this unfolding reality. And what this crisis therefore has done, as you rightly point out, is to make it very clear that most countries are going to deal with Russia or not deal with Russia, depending on their own uh, matrix of national interest. It's, it, West will not decide and should not decide how those countries deal with Russia. And I think that is quite becoming quite quite apparent with each passing day. Uh, as, as, as you point out, uh, Rus- Russian foreign minister have been trying to galvanize the support that he can. Uh, whatever support he has been able to galvanize, uh, you know, uh, that will, uh, that, that is reflective of what other countries feel about this crisis and about their, their the importance of their ties with Russia. It is, it, you know, it is not dependent on uh, on what Europe feels or does not feel about this crisis. Absolutely, it's becoming more and more evident in the, that the West or uh, cannot decide how the countries deal uh, with other countries. They they will do it uh, as per their own national interests. Uh, Harsh, before we end this conversation, I want you to quickly comment uh, and you analyze the political situation in our neighborhood, which is particularly disturbing and in turmoil during these last couple of weeks actually but the last couple of days have been very very dramatic and events have been uh, you know there have been dramatic turn of events the Imran Khan government has been fighting for survival 
every uh, last moment effort has been made uh, for the government to survive uh, but uh, you know he's already lost the majority here it's very interesting that the army has been saying for a change it's neutral what does that what does that really mean and indicate as far as army's role in pakistan is concerned and if you look at pakistan's political situation right now whether the imran khan government stays or is kicked out uh, what has changed in pakistan's political situation with the way things have unfolded there and of course whatever the changes take place how will it affect uh, the situation here vis-a-vis -vis relation with india or, or if we look at afghanistan uh, i think dramatic uh, developments uh, in pakistan nagma as you rightly point out and i would also add dramatic developments in sri lanka uh, yes. you know uh, i think um, uh, it's quite um, uh, you know quite serious in more ways than one uh, when you have um, uh, you know political systems under turmoil as they are at the moment in both are uh, two very very important neighbors uh, but in pakistan of course uh, you know we are looking at uh, at something very interesting because at, traditionally you would have expected uh, army to come out and take a, take a sign and that would have resolved the matter here it seems that the army is is is, is not uh, taking at least trying not to take an active role in the process of this change i think they are they are giving a lot of space uh, to, uh, to 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 the political parties and how they interact with each other and in the process i think uh, mr imran khan has taken it upon himself uh, to remain relevant i think he's playing not only for this uh, for this innings but a, but a post defeat inning as well where he wants to uh, you know put his stamp not as a selected prime minister but perhaps as one that can be elected on his own terms if and when the next elections happen so i think his own uh, approach to this crisis has been to present himself as a credible alternative that is not only um, you know that 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 not only continues to talk about establishment versus non establishment uh, in in pakistani politics but also talks about you know conspiracies to be removed and how how he can be more independent uh, how pakistan can be more independent under his leadership so i think he's 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 in, in some ways emerging as a populist leader trying to tap directly uh, into people's uh, into into pakistani perception of him uh, as a leader who is now perhaps more credible than he was in 2018 when he came to power in electoral terms and it would be interesting to see what happens uh, as 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 and when elections happen uh, you know and the kind of mandate he's able to get uh, once again but as we know uh, the underlying realities in pakistan are often very difficult to comprehend from afar given the role that uh, army and the intel intelligence community plays in shaping the battlefield of electoral possibilities so i think uh, at the moment certainly he's uh, you know he's fighting for his life uh, and one doesn't know when when uh, political life and one doesn't know when uh, uh, what what turn those events might take but i think what this crisis has once again underscored for the long term is that pakistani democracy pakistani democratic institutions remain very vulnerable to all kinds of uh, challenges both from within and without and that's not good news for a country like india that that has been hoping for a very long time to have a sustainable partner in pakistan because yeah. the question that is often asked in india is who do you talk to even if you want to talk who do you talk to and i think uh, this crisis has once again revealed the underlying challenges that india faces in managing its relationship with pakistan mm -hmm. 
Yes, uh, but in a way, like you said, Imran Khan is emerging or is trying to emerge as a more uh, as a popular leader, and probably might seek elections, uh, and uh, it has tried to actually remove the tag of the chosen one by the army. So he's been a bit uh, successful there. So we have to wait and see how things uh, shape up in Pakistan. But definitely, when Imran Khan made that appeal to the nation, he he pandered also to the Islamists, to the radicals, and uh, blamed America Square for everything that's wrong with America and uh, sorry with Pakistan and the earlier leaders Beit Musharraf or Nawaz Sharif so we will keep a very close watch on the turn of events in Pakistan thank you so much for that analysis Hush that's it from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod the ORF podcast please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes